You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we have gone through weeks one against the Chicago Bears, two against the Falcons, week three against the Saints, week four against the Lions, and week five against the Raiders. Congratulations, we are 5-0. and Fantastic news, everything is perfect in the land of cheese. And then we get to rest, because week six is our bye week. So, you guys have a good rest of your day. Ha <laughs> ha I'm kidding, because that's like what we were doing. <laughs> Never mind. Week seven, Sunday, October 22nd at... The Denver Broncos, 3.25 p.m. on CBS. So the Broncos obviously are a pretty interesting team. Um, They are a team that pretty much every year people think, hey, maybe they're going to do something, turn it around. We'll see. They've got these elite wide receivers and this elite defense and blah, blah, blah. And then they go get this elite quarterback, and then that quarterback plays like garbage. And the team is garbage. Denver Broncos finished last in the division with a 5-12 record. Nathaniel Hackett was the head coach, absolute, complete, and utter disaster of a head coach, largely because he came from Green Bay, where the philosophy was, do whatever the superstar wants and see if you can kind of try to blend our scheme into it somehow, some way. He brought that approach over there, did whatever Russell Wilson wanted, allowed him to run all over the team. The team freaking hated him. He had his own office. He's his own superstar. They allowed him to do that BS. The scheme was trash. Russell Wilson was trash, the locker room was trash, and everybody freaking hated the guy. So Nathaniel Hackett didn't even finish the season before he got fired. Jerry Rosenberg took over, and there sits Justin Outen thinking he got into this super awesome situation, and he's just watching this dumpster fire happen as the offensive coordinator, and thinking, well, crap, I thought this was my big, this is my big moment here, man. Tight end coach to offensive coordinator, and then Russell Wilson's going to take us to the promised land with this defense with uh, Ajiro Evero. Like, we're, we're just, he's just going to, I'm just going to grab onto the coattails and ride this thing to a head coaching job here pretty soon. Except that didn't super happen. Nathaniel Hackett's final game with the team was against the Rams, and they lost 51-14, to which is another kind of funny part of this. It's that uh, Russell Wilson squandered an elite defense. I mean, they ranked 14th, bro. I'm kind of getting tired of hearing about how elite this defense is. I, 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 I just kind of am. I was reading something where they were talking about they outperformed expectations in like 11 of their games. That doesn't mean anything. That just means expectations were too low, which is kind of shocking to me. They did start off the season fairly well. I mean, they gave up 32 points to the Raiders, but otherwise it was pretty fantastic. But man, it ended on a real low note and losing by 51 points. Yikes. Then the new head coach takes over. They barely lose to the Chiefs and then they beat the Chargers, the team that beat them earlier in the season. So they went one and one, 
but they almost went 2-0, and including the Kansas City Chiefs. So there's some reason for hope here. Also, if you're a Jets fan, maybe start hyperventilating a little bit, because this is, I mean, you think McDaniels is bad. This could be a complete disaster. Maybe he'll just be a better offensive coordinator than a head coach. I don't know. But remember, he was an offensive coordinator here, but Matt LaFleur was really the offensive coordinator. He was the offensive guy. He's the guy that installed the offenses. He's the one that came up with the playbook. He's the one that called the plays. He was the offensive coordinator. Nathaniel Hackett was basically his secretary. With the Jets, he's the top dog over there. So anyways, the reason I I bring that up is because as much as I... You know, I basically just said stop believing in this team because it's never a good idea. We do have to acknowledge that Sean Payton is the new head coach, right? Very well-established guy in being a head coach, not offense or defense necessarily, head coach-ology. Outen was Outen as the offensive coordinator. They brought in Joe Lombardi. There's several Lombardis in the NFL, I've noticed. But um, he spent a lot of time... You know, been in the NFL since 2006, but previously offensive coordinator for the Chargers the last two years. And then on defense, for whatever reason, uh, Evero is out and they brought in Vance Joseph. He's been the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals for one, two, three, four years, and then previously was a head coach of the Broncos. I don't think any of that really went very well. He was a defensive coordinator of Miami. I can't remember the last time they had a good defense, except, you know, like recently. Arizona's had a putrid defense, but... Um, Whatever, he's got a lot of experience, so there's that. Uh, I want to try something a little bit differently today. I still want to go through the team, but I just want to kind of read off some of the big changes right up front and before we go through them, just in case I kind of forget or whatever. But here are some of the players that they lost. They lost Draymond Jones, the interior defensive lineman. Ronald Darby, their cornerback. Um, Trying to look at relevant players. Graham Glasgow, we just mentioned, went to the Lions. Tom Compton is gone. Left tackle Calvin Anderson, gone. Brennan McManus, their kicker, longtime kicker, uh, over to the Jaguars. Dalton Reisner is gone. Billy Turner is a Jet. <laughs> uh, um, Latavius Murray, the running back, is out. He went to the Bills. Marlon Mack is out. That's about it. Uh, free agent additions. Mike McGlinchey brought in at right tackle. Zach Allen came in as a defensive lineman. Ben Powers. The guard, Frank Clark, off the edge. Was, wasn't was he a Bronco before he left? I thought he was a Bronco, then he went to the Chiefs, but I can't remember. No, maybe he was a Seahawk. I don't know. Samaj P. Ryan at running back. Uh, Chris Manhurts, tight end. Riley Dixon, punter. And Adam Troutman, they brought in a tight end. And then their draft picks, they did not have a first-round draft pick. Their second-round draft pick was Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma. In the third round, they got linebacker Drew Sanders, cornerback Riley Moss. And then in the sixth round, safety J.L. Skinner, seventh round center Alex Forsyth. So, I mean, free agency was probably uh, more lucrative for them than than the draft, which always sucks because you're talking about way too much money, like almost $18 million for Mike McGlinchey and $15 million for Zach Allen. And, of course, these guys aren't really going to stick around all that long. But they are projected this year to win 8.5 games, expected to be third in the division, roughly. There were five wins last year, so obviously they're expecting to take a big jump. We shall see. But anyways, again, really quickly with Russell Wilson as we kind of rip through the roster here. um, He took a big step back, but I I can't help but wonder if he isn't going to kind of go back a little bit. right? So so his gigantic step back actually started in Seattle. 
So in 2020, he had a 90.5 grade, 88 or 89 passing grade, like one of the best passers in football. Like we, we all remember that, right? 4,400 yards, 42 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. Just an absolute freak. For whatever reason, 2021, he wasn't that. He had a 74 grade and a 70 passing grade, 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, and six interceptions. So that sucked. I mean, he did miss some time, so I guess cumulative stats, you got to kind of take that into account. Um, Also, if you look at 2021, he had two really bad games. One of them was against the Green Bay Packers, and that was on the road for them, and it was in Lambeau. It was also his first game back from his injury. So he played week five and had a 94 grade. He comes back from his injury, has a 33, 67, 57, 67. Like his grades were just down. It seems to me very likely that that injury was bothering him. He did have two really good games after his injury, but you look prior to his injury, they were all really good. Then after his injury, they all kind of sucked with the exception of two games. And again, one of them was Houston, which, you know, everybody kind of has a good game against Houston. So it's somewhat explainable. Now, maybe that injury is still lingering and it's still causing them some problems. I don't really know. But I don't, I can't imagine, unless that's the case. He's got an injury that's just not getting better, that's causing some problems. He went from a 90 to a 74 down to a 66. Even if 74 is like his new baseline, I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't really make sense of it. I, I think you can make a case for he gets back to 90 if the injury thing isn't an issue. But even if the injury, well, see, if the injury thing is an issue, then maybe he just stays here. Because part of the reason he he had as high of a grade in 2021 as he did is because he spent about a third of that time not injured. I don't know. I don't really know what to expect. Um, I don't know how much even the new head coach can can come in and do. Because as good as Peyton is, he's walking into a complete disaster of a situation. You know, Sean Peyton had been building that Saints program for generations. So when you came in, you were coming into a culture that he had been building. He's walking into a disaster. So. I, I don't know. If I had to guess, he'll be better than he was last year. How much better, I, I couldn't tell you. Somewhere around what he was in 2021, maybe. But it was still pretty bad. Um, running backs. Sometimes there are teams that just run the ball well. I had mentioned, we talked about the Falcons already and why, and why I don't think they needed to get Bijan Robinson. And it's because everybody that touched the ball did a great job. We've seen this with um, Seattle used to be that team. I know Minnesota was a team like that where... Didn't really matter, right? Their star running back could go down. Somebody else come in and be like, oh, dang, that dude's good. And then the number three running back comes in. It's like, oh, dang, he's good. And then they go to another team and they suck. I think Denver was that team. Marlon Mack and Latavius Murray both graded in the mid-80s with their rushing grades. Now, I don't mean to slander. I've always liked Latavius Murray. But, you know, really? Now, on the flip side... <laughs> Melvin Gordon, who was actually the number two running back behind Latavius Murray, had a 52 uh, rushing grade. What a fall from grace that guy's had. 3.5 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, five fumbles, which probably contributes pretty highly to this whole thing. But again, the, the funny thing about it is even if it doesn't really matter who our running back is and we're going to dominate no matter what, why would you get rid of Latavius Murray and Marlon Mack? Are they too expensive? I can't imagine they are. Star running backs don't even get paid. Just keep Latavius around, man. But they got rid of everybody. Um, they've got Javante Williams, who they drafted in the second round last year. That's who's going to take over. I mean, I guess that's fine. He had a 65 rushing grade. 
so he wasn't Latavius Murray. Um, they brought in Samaj P. Ryan, which again, I don't understand, right? Okay, so, so we're going to get rid of all the expensive free agents and ride this dude, Javante Williams, who we drafted. Then why did you bring in P. Ryan? Why don't you just keep Marlon Mack and or Latavius Murray? I don't understand. Anyways, then they have Tyler Beatty, Batty, whatever, Tony Jones, and Jaleel McLaughlin. I don't know, man. I just don't, I don't understand why people do stuff that they do. I mean, listen, you went out and expended a good amount of money on a head coach. Very important that you get that. Why? Because we need this to work. We need our quarterback to be good. Why? Because if our quarterback's good, we're going to have a really good offense to pair with our really good defense, and we're going to have a really good team. Okay, so why in the world are you skimping on like $2 million for a freaking running back? Latavius had 4.3 yards per attempt, and again, an 83 rushing grade. Marlon Mack, 5.3 yards per attempt, 87 rushing grade. Why do you need to get rid of them? And then pay to bring in Samaj P. Ryan. I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. Seems like some teams, and, and maybe this is why some people get frustrated with the Packers, because they don't do this stuff, and why I'm confused as a Packer fan, because we don't generally do this stuff. We don't have a billion f- free agents that we just get rid of, and then a billion more that come in. But it's just this constant like turnover of just people that are just random. Like, we're going to get rid of Latavius. Oh, because you want to, like, get younger? and No, 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 just because we're bored and we want to get a new one, so we're going to go get Samaj P. Ryan. Oh, isn't he, like, worse, though? Yeah, you know, fits our scheme or something stupid. I don't know. That's what we'll tell our fans. We're just kind of bored, you know? We want something to do. So now Latavius is with the Buffalo Bills. So anyways, their rushing attack is probably worse. Then that brings us to probably the most overrated wide receiver group in the history of the world. Um, Again, Jerry Judy has been touted as the most elite wide receiver in history. It's another example of why narrative can never die. Jerry Judy, when he was drafted, was like the most gifted wide receiver in the history of the universe. We've never seen anything like it up until, of course, the next draft and the next draft and the next draft. But Jerry Judy sticks in the minds of everybody. Everybody said he's going to be so good. And because the narrative is he's good, he just needs quarterback help, very similar to Fields, just from the opposite perspective, everybody just keeps assuming that he is just this elite wide receiver. Now, he's not a bad wide receiver. I'm not saying he's bad. But his grades have been 65, 70, and 78 for receiving grades. They've gotten better, but in three years, he's gone from mediocre to decent to good. Bro, are we handing out participation trophies just because you liked him in the draft? He went 15th overall, all right? He's a good wide receiver. He's not elite. Maybe he will be in year four. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But he hasn't been. And actually, their number one wide receiver, if you look at it in terms of the most targeted wide receiver they had, was Cortland Sutton. He's another one that's good, not great. And then their number three wide receiver, which was way down the list. I mean, you're talking 106 targets, 100 targets, and then 30 targets. But that was um, Kendall Hinton. So basically, they just run two wide receivers. Jerry Judy is listed here as their slot receiver, but looks like they never put him in the slot. They just run two wide receivers and, and let it ride. Then you got uh, their number three actual receiver, not wide receiver, is tight end Greg Dulcich. He is still there, very mediocre tight end. By the way, um, uh, Kendall Hinton is no longer on the team. Their, their next wide receiver, I guess, that's going to be their wide receiver three, which sounds like is going to be irrelevant, would be Tim Patrick. But that's only a maybe because, remember, they've got uh, Marvin Mims. And, and don't forget about... Uh, my man KJ Hamler, who's been terrible, but maybe he'll maybe he'll be good. So listen, they they have decent wide receivers, right? They're 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 solid. Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are solid receivers, and maybe Marvin Mims can be that third 
trio. I mean, listen, if you got three guys in the 70s, that's a great group. You don't have an elite wide receiver, but I would almost rather have that. You know, we had Devontae and then MVS and Lazard. And that's fantastic. I don't know that I wouldn't rather have, like, let's say Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton, and let's just pretend Marvin Mims ends up being, like, a good receiver. I like that. And by the way, that might be what the Packers are kind of getting toward. I think Christian Watson already is that. So hopefully we can get that from at least one of the wide receivers, either Dobbs or Reed, and maybe at least one of our tight ends. I think that would be fantastic if we can get three of our, let's say, five different receiving options, three receivers, two tight ends. If we can get three of those to be in the 70s, I think we're in a good way. So it's a decent enough group if their quarterback can do anything. The offensive line starts with uh, Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles is a pretty good tackle, but he missed a ton of time last year. He only played in five games and was the third most utilized tackle on the team. But 77 pass blocking, 77 run blocking. He's a good tackle. Left guard Dalton Reisner went bye-bye, as we mentioned. Makes sense. He was kind of bad at stuff, although pass blocking was his specialty. They brought in Ben Powers out of Baltimore. And I think that kind of makes sense, assuming 2022 holds up, because he's very similar to Dalton Reisner, just better. He had an 86 pass blocking grade compared to his 50 run blocking grade, but it was kind of a fluke. His pass blocking grades previously were 70, 66, and 66. So I don't know. We'll see. If he can maintain that, then he is a phenomenal pass blocking guard, which is surprising because he is 6'4", 340 pounds. The dude sucks at run blocking and is somehow a great pass blocker. It's a little surprising, but whatever. Then last year, they had Graham Glasgow as their center. Again, he's gone. They didn't really bring in anybody. They're just going to allow allow Lloyd Cushenberry to take over. Kind of similar. These are kind of like Packers um, offensive lines. It's actually very similar so far, just worse in every category. right? Garrett Bowles is good in both spots, uh, pass and run, but just not as good in either as David Bakhtiari is. And then so far we're going through and it's like, yeah, he's a decent pass blocker, sucks at run blocking. Lloyd Cushenberry had a 68 pass blocking grade, 52 run blocking. Sounds like a Packers interior guy just not as good then you get to quinn miners former uw whitewater offensive lineman very sad he didn't end up with the green bay packers don't get a ton of those guys in the nfl but um he had a 78 run blocking grade 67 pass blocking so a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker and the pass blocking actually stayed almost exactly the same 66 to 67 so it kind of feels like that's just kind of where he's at as a pass blocker so mediocre the run blocking again though did get significantly better whether that stays i don't know but um i think there's some opportunities there from a pass blocking standpoint and then mike mcglinchy is a well-known right tackle and what he's well known for is being more of a run blocker than a pass blocker they are replacing cam fleming who actually was pretty decent 75 pass blocking grade 68 run blocking grade which is pretty much Mike McGlinchey in reverse, which is funny because McGlinchey is the same guy, but only in a worse way. And they paid like $16 million or was it, how much would they pay this guy? Oh, $17.5 million to bring in a guy that's not as good of a pass blocker, but is a better run blocker. Well done. Well done, Denver. So look, as far as their offense against our defense, this is a situation where I think the only thing that somewhat concerns me is can our corners keep up with their wide receivers? And the answer is yes, if we just say can, but freaking will they? There should be plenty of opportunities for pass rush. There's plenty of opportunities for run blocking. Again, their 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 offensive line is not that good. There's a couple of them that are. Uh, Quinn Miners, maybe, and then Mike McGlinchey over on the right side. 
But, you know, Rashawn Gary hopefully can be back at this point, maybe, if he can hold down that um, offensive right side, defensive left side. This is a matchup they should be able to win. I know, I know, it's a tall, tall task to ask them to win against the run, but it's here. And, and either way, there should be some pass rush generation. And you start getting in Russell Wilson's face, he starts making some bad decisions. Um, again, he's got basically two wide receivers to pick from. His tight end's no good. His really good running backs are gone, at least the ones that performed at a high level last year. And they promoted Javante Williams, who was not the greatest last year. So there's no reason this shouldn't be something that can be controlled. And, and, and again, every team has some flexibility in terms of how good or how bad they can be. The ones with like the highest ceilings that maybe we're just not seeing would be Russell Wilson, if he can kind of get back to form, and then would be Jerry Judy slash Marvin Mims. Again, Jerry Judy's gotten better through two years in a row. If he takes another step, maybe he's much more dangerous. And again, Marvin Mims will see. Cortland Sutton, I feel confident that we kind of just know what he is. But in reality, so what, man? I mean, what what's Russell going to do? Be a top 10 quarterback and we can't handle that? Against a top 15, maybe top 10 wide receiver? Suck it up, bro. The Raiders are have Devontae. Can't just be like one really good guy and that just throws the whole thing off. You're a good defense, supposedly. Deal with it. All right, let's take a look at this uh, super elite defense they've got. On the interior last year was Draymond Jones and um, Deshaun Williams. Those are the top two guys, followed by DJ Jones and Mark Purcell. Mike Purcell, sorry. All four of those guys are pretty bad. Mentioned already, Draymond Jones went bye-bye and was replaced by Zach Allen. Zach Allen did have a much better year in his final year with Arizona, but it's hard to tell if we're talking about fool's gold or not. Um, The grades were higher. But three years, he was horrific. 50s and 40s, all three years in run defense. Pass rush was 50s and 60s. And if you look at the statistics, 35 pressures, 427 attempts, and six sacks, that's really not very good. So potential upgrade there, but either way, you've got him. You've got Deshaun Williams, who was the number two guy. He had a 55 overall grade. DJ Jones, 63. Mark Mike Purcell, 67. I don't think there is a defensive line. I mean, there's 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 other guys, and it's going to be a rotation. Matt Henningsen, whatever. I don't know that there's a guy on this team that is a defensive tackle that there should be a lot of hope in. The highest graded defensive tackle out of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 last year was Purcell, 67 overall grade, 58 pass rush grade. That was their best defensive tackle on this team. It's probably Zach Allen now, but that's not super great. Off the edges. The number one edge rusher last year was Baron Browning. Baron Browning had a 55 grade. He had um, he did have 38 pressures on 284 attempts, so he was generating a lot of pressures, but he had a 65 pass rush grade. Usually the way I kind of parse that out in my head. If the stats are good and the grades are bad, I don't trust your ability to replicate it. If the stats are bad and the grades are good, then maybe it was a little bit of a down year, but it could have been based on different factors. And you obviously did a good job in some respect, and so I'm, I'm a little bit more nervous. And I guess technically that could work in both ways. I, I, I don't exactly know. I would need to know when I look at a grade, and sometimes you can see it when you look at more advanced statistics, right? One-on-one opportunities or whatever, you know, sometimes you can find it, but there's some discrepancy there. And I guess it depends what that discrepancy is to get the full story. But I guess long story short, I don't like it when they don't line up because I don't know which one to trust more, but that's just generally where I lean. 
But either way, good statistics are good statistics. And if it happens to be because you got a really good edge on the other side or a good supporting cast or a great defensive coordinator who schemes these things open, making sure you get mostly one-on-ones and no double teams or whatever the case is, I don't know. Or again, when you talk about PFF, you're talking about consistency. And even though we're talking about big numbers, let's say somebody has 400 pass rush attempts, 50 um, pressures. That's a great rate, but there are 350 snaps unaccounted for. So I suppose if you're an inconsistent player, I'm thinking this through live on the show here. In other words, you're kind of bursty, right? A good play is a very good play, but you also kind of suck a lot. And then you also look at sacks, hits, and hurries, right? Because if of those 50, you have a lot more that are sacks, sacks are going to count higher. And so it's going to take more bad plays to undercut that one sack play. Whereas if you don't actually have a lot of sacks and they're mostly hurries, it might take one bad play to counteract that. I don't know. But it, it isn't that hard, I guess, to figure out why you can have great statistics and bad grades. The grade is on a play-to-play basis. How did you perform as a pass rusher? The stats are just, did I get enough out of you for the, the you know, what is the expectation in terms of high-end plays? Did you meet that? The answer would be yes if you're at 10% or more. All right, there we go. We got an answer. So anyways, what does that mean with Baron Browning? Well, it's kind of twofold, although this is normal for everybody. Obviously, most of his pressures were hurries. He had six sacks. But it means that out of 284 snaps, 38 of them were positive, and enough of the rest were negative slash so negative that it brought some really good statistics down to being average. So he's kind of like uh, Kyler Fackrell that one year he had a bunch of pressures, I guess. So Baron Browning um, is still there. He is their, I guess, number one edge rusher. And that's followed by what used to be Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb, number five overall pick. Um, I guess complete bust of a pick. I feel bad saying that after listening to the uh, show with uh, Tony Mandrich and, and Clayton, but, I mean, it's it's not great. But he actually was their best pass rusher grade-wise. He had an 80 PFF grade when they traded him. But he had a horrific game against Jacksonville, and I guess that was just enough for um, Denver to trade him off to Miami. So he is now gone. Jonathan Cooper, the edge rusher, is still there, I believe, but... He has been supplanted by none other than Mr. Randy Gregory. Uh, Gregory was with the team last year, but only played in about five-ish games. The guy is almost 31 years old and has had a heck of an up-and-down career. He did manage 20 pressures on his 114 attempts, including two sacks. His pass rush grade was a 76. Is he going to be on the field? When he plays the Green Bay Packers is probably the biggest question because he definitely likes to find ways to not be on the field. Otherwise, you got backup Jonathan Cooper, who was a starter last year. Again, average pass rusher, about 10% pressure rate, low sack rate. And finally, our lads has him listed as a backup. We'll see. He may end up starting, although he was over, always overrated, which I said from the day the Kansas City Chiefs got him, they went out and got Frank Clark. Frank Clark last year, 64 grade, 61 pass rush grade, 56 pressures on 591 attempts and nine sacks. So everybody sees the nine sacks and says, you're an idiot. This guy gets a billion sacks. He's so good. He, I mean, in his heyday, 13, 14, 10, 12, he's so, no, he's not that good. I don't know how he converts so many pressures to sacks, but his ability to disrupt the quarterback is low. 
The guy's highest PFF grade ever was 2018 with Seattle, and he had a 77 grade. You know what it was with the Chiefs? 63, 54, 54, and 64. That's it. Only time he cracked 10% with the Chiefs was his first year with the Chiefs. So Frank Clark is a big name that is not produced in the NFL in a very long time and was never an elite pass rusher. Ever. He was solid with Seattle, but he was never a Bosa. I think I'm starting to understand why so many Packers fans get get frustrated with free agency. Because pretty much every team we've looked at, there's some big names. I'm not going to call it big swings because these aren't necessarily good football players. And I'm not saying I understand it from a standpoint of it's a rational thought process. But I understand it in terms of pretty much everywhere you look, you got teams like this, the Denver Broncos, who first of all went out and got um, Russell Wilson. Just huge, huge swing, right? Fantastic. Well done. So proud of you. And what did they do this year? They got Mike McGlinchey. Huge name. Is he good? Eh, he's a good run blocker. But he got such a big name, dude. Then what do they do? They go out and get freaking Frank Clark. Oh, and Randy Gregory, one of the biggest freaks in the world. I mean, he can't stay on the field or anything for, again, numerous reasons. But man, just these big names. Then they went out and got Zach Allen. Dang, son. They even got Tyler Lancaster. What's not to love? They got Kaywon Williams out of San Francisco. Adam Troutman, the tight end. Are they going to win any games? Eh, I don't know. But man, they do so much cool stuff. Anyways, on the inside, uh, Josie Jewell is still there. It's actually a pretty decent linebacker. It's been slow coming, but um, his grades have sl- very slowly over five years. He was injured in 2021, uh, culminated into his first good grade. So he's, it's never been bad, right? Like 68 right there on the cusp. He had an 83 in 2021, but again, he didn't hardly play. But he's a pretty stiff run defender. He doesn't really grade out poorly in run defense ever. Um, but, you know, things like coverage, not necessarily his forte. And then uh, Alex Singleton is still their linebacker from last year. It's nice to have a position group that just has the same two guys. It feels like that never happens. You have to take way too much time on everything. But um, he had an 80 PFF grade last year. Again, that is mostly run defense, 82.6 run defense grade, 77 tackling grade, 68 pass rush, 73 coverage. Um, But that was also his first really, really good year. His first year since coming from Philadelphia, so... You know, maybe he replicates that because the scheme is better. Maybe it was just some kind of a fluke. I don't know. It is a new defensive coordinator now, so we kind of reset on those kinds of things. Corners, Patrick Sertan, that is a very good corner. It is worth noting it was only good for one year. It was year two, so he took a massive jump from year one to year two. But did he jump into, like, this is what he is now? He's just one of the premier corners? Because, you know, I mean, he's a first-round pick, number nine selection. Or is it kind of like a Jair thing where he overshot a little bit and then he's going to kind of come down to his normal kind of 70-ish self? I don't know. But all I know is he's a good corner. Their number two corner uh, from last year and will be this year is Damari Mathis. Um, Damari was a 2022 fourth round pick and really, really did not do very well. So that's a weak point. And then uh, Kaywon Williams, again, came over from San Francisco last year. Um, pretty mediocre player. That's what he was in San Francisco. That's what he remained in Denver. That's what I expect him to be. So, um, one solid lockdown corner, two pretty mediocre, we'll see how it goes, sort of corners. And then finally at safety, 
Same two guys as last year, Kareem Jackson. Um, Kareem had a 64 grade, 71 run defense, 60 coverage. And then Justin Simmons was a 70, which was a 61 run defense and a 74 coverage. So Simmons is the one good cover guy of the group. Kareem Jackson didn't do much of anything. Uh, For reference, Kareem is 35 years old. He was a solid football player up through 2020. Um, Doesn't look like there's much left in the tank, though. So I don't know if they've got a plan B. They drafted J.L. Skinner, but he's a six-round pick. I don't know if that's really where we're headed in the future. So I would expect Kareem to kind of hold the reins there. And then Justin Simmons is also almost 30, uh, which is worth noting. He's been solid every single year. 75, 74, well, one down year, 90, 77, 75, and then 70. The one thing to note, though, about Justin Simmons, his 70 grade, which is, I mean, his lowest since his one down year in 2018, um, is is very, very, very inconsistent insofar as most of the time he has bad games, which is really worth noting because not only does inconsistency matter in terms of the long run, how good of a player are you, but if you're talking about scouting your opponents, if this guy had, let's just look at it, a 90 grade, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4-ish 70 grades, no 80 grades, 1, 2, 60 grades, 150 grade, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 40 grades. Talk to a stats guy and say, what what are you likely to see when you see Justin Simmons? Because the 70 is just sort of the aggregate grade over, over the course of the year. Are you going to get that 190 grade? Well, it's relatively unlikely over a 17-week probability. And yeah, he could be injured, but that doesn't matter because it then, then he definitely won't be a 90 grade. There's a 3 in 17 chance, or a, I guess a 4 in 17 chance, that you get a 70 or higher grade based on what he did last year. There's a 5 in 70 chance you get a sub-60 grade. And he only played 12 games last year. And he's turning 30 this year. And his grades have been going down every year since 2019. So, is he a good football player? Well, if you look at his 70 overall grade and his 74 coverage grade, yeah, he's pretty good. But remember, every single good player has bad days sometimes. Most bad players have good games sometimes. So it's a mix of, are they good, and what is the probability that they're going to be good when they play us? And for Simmons, he's a good player that actually has somewhat of a low probability of playing a good game against us. So I don't know, man. Look, I've never been able to figure out why the Kansas City Chiefs have as good of a defense as they do. Um, You got a good locker room. You got guys that know their assignments and do their job well enough and great defensive coordinators or whatever. I I don't know, but I'm not massively blown away by this group. I'm 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 really just not. Is it a good group? Yes, it is. It also goes into what and I, I hope all the sort of anti Packers, you know, the the people that get all pissy because the Packers have like a hole somewhere. Like, oh, this is gonna be trash. Look at we got like no safety. Are listening to this because there's not a single team I've gone through that's just been like, dude, I don't know. He's good, he's good, he's super good, he's great, he's elite, he's amazing. That doesn't exist. This is one of the top defenses. What do they have? A bad defensive line maybe a pass rusher or two, but no elite pass rushers, mediocre linebackers that are terrible in coverage, which is the most important aspect, one corner out of three, one mid safety, and one good but very inconsistent safety. That's the makeup of this defense. Are they going to grade out well again with their statistics and everything? Yeah, probably. Denver always seems to find a way. But is this going to be a significantly better team? Probably not. 
like most teams, is going to hinge on the quarterback. And although I don't expect him to be quite as bad as he was last year, I think the days of Russell Wilson being one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL are probably over. Anyways, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we're going to look at the final NFC North team because the next opponent is the Minnesota Vikings. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Sunday, October 29th, the Minnesota Vikings, Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field, noon game on Fox, the best games. So I know every team we've talked about has been somewhat of an anomaly, and, and, and I haven't really put a fine edge on any of these because obviously that would be stupid. We have no idea what teams are going to be. But allow me to say the exact same thing all over again. I really don't know what to think of the Minnesota Vikings. I have said several times that I think people are downplaying the Vikings too much. That's not because I don't think it's possible. They're just completely awful. It's very possible, and there's a lot of evidence to support that. But I just think that people aren't actually looking at the hard evidence. They're just saying, well, you know, they were a fraud team, so they're going to regress. Therefore, they're not going to be very good. Well, they won 13 games. They, they were in first place by a mile. If they had only won 10 games, they still would have been in first place in the division. They were 13-4, and four, right? So you got your Kevin O'Connell, Minnesota Vikings, bringing this whole new era. You got offensive coordinator Wes Phillips along with Ed Donatel. Changing up the defense, changing up the offense. Whole new deal here, right? Going to be more of a pass-heavy offense, getting away from this old Zimmer defensive-focused team that likes to run the ball all the time. We're going to spread it out. We're going to pass, et cetera, et cetera, right? And again, by all accounts, if you're just looking at the record, 13-4, and four, it was a wild success. They started the season 8-1. and one. They ended the season 5-3, and 5-4 and four if you include their playoff loss to the Giants. But of course, the biggest thing that sticks out to everybody, and, and the one that I was banging on the most, is the point differential thing. Now, there is a strong correlation. This isn't to say, you know, just because something has a strong correlation doesn't mean that there are instances in which that's not the best stat to use. There can be outliers in which point differential doesn't really give you the full story. That's entirely possible. But what I am saying is there is a strong correlation between point differential and how good a football team really is. They were horrific. 
in terms of point differential. And down the stretch, it became obvious to me that the Vikings were not as good as the Lions or even the Packers down the stretch. And of course, Vikings fans got very, very mad about that. And then they got spanked by the Detroit Lions, right? Then they went up against the Indianapolis Colts. Well, you could even probably go back further than that. The Jets, who are a complete joke, they barely beat. Then they go up against the Lions. They get humiliated. Then they go up against the Colts. And remember, what, what the heck was the score of that game before the greatest comeback in NFL history? It was 33 to 0. The Vikings didn't get their first touchdown until midway through the third quarter. Then you had simultaneously the biggest defensive collapse, biggest offensive collapse, and of course a heroic effort from the Vikings. But if you nobody watched that game and thought, man, the Vikings defense just shut them down. Matt Ryan was the biggest hunk of garbage I have ever seen at quarterback in my entire life. But again, at the end of the day, whether you want to talk about the biggest collapse from the Vikings to start the game or the biggest comeback in NFL history, what are we ultimately talking about? The Colts were one of the worst teams in football. Horrific football team. And the Vikings beat them in overtime by three points. Then they play the Giants. The Giants, also a massive fraud team. Really, really bad football team. They beat them by three points. And so I came into this. I said, you know, listen, I don't know that we're going to win the game, but I'm telling you, the way the Packers are playing right now, and the way the Vikings are playing right now, the Packers are the better team. Oh, no, you're full of crap. Look at the records. Look at the records. The records of what? What happened? The Packers beat the Vikings 41-17. to That's what happened. Then they played the actual worst team in all of football, the Chicago Bears. Um, and Justin Fields, not that he's a good football player, but they pulled Justin Fields. Now, at least if Justin Fields was in the game, maybe he could have run for something. But no, they had Nathan Peterman and then later Tim Boyle to come in and play this game against Minnesota. And yes, Minnesota beat the Nathan Peterman and Tim Boyle duo with the Chicago Bears, Cole Komet being their top receiver in that game. Um, and and the, the Vikings did win that game. So that's a, a massive achievement for them. This was a terrible, terrible team. Their offense, which was the obviously the best part of their... Um, their team ranked 8th in terms of points, 7th in terms of yards. They were 28th on defense in terms of points, 31st in terms of yards. But I'm pretty sure, not even going to bother to look it up, down the stretch, let's call it last half of the year, they were dead last. It was ugly. I mean, starting with Buffalo in Week 10, they give up 30, 40, 26, 22, 34, 36, 24, 41, 13, and then against the Giants, 31. I mean, they spent more time giving up 30s and 40s than they did less than 30. Six games, they gave up 30 or more. Four, they gave up less than 30. That's crazy. They gave up zero prior to that Buffalo Bills game. So again, you come into it and it's like, well, all right. So, I mean, they've got a new defensive coordinator, which I don't know if that's better or worse. Because if they had the same defensive coordinator, we'd be talking about, yay, it's year two. Now that they got a new defensive coordinator, it's yay, we got this great defensive coordinator. Maybe. I don't know. Year one, slightly new system. I'm thinking it's a semi-similar system because you're talking about that hybrid front thing. And I know, again, Mike Pettin wasn't their defensive coordinator, but that's a similar thing to what Mike Pettin liked to do, which I'm guessing is why Mike Pettin was brought in. But now we got Brian Flores who's taken over. Flores, obviously, just like a million other guys, ended up getting his fame because he was with New England and then got a job with Miami because of what happened in New England. Now, I don't exactly understand what it is that makes him the greatest in the world. It was an assumed thing. 
that he was super good because he came from there, and I never really understood why it was necessarily assumed that Brian Flores was going to be great. Um, but his first year as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, their defense ranked 32nd and then 30th in yards. 2020, they did get better. They ranked 6th in points, but 20th in yards. Then 2021, under Flores, they went back to being 16th in points and 15th in yards. Then there was the whole absolute debacle with Miami and Flores, where Miami seemed like they were doing a bunch of shady stuff, but Brian Flores also seemed like he was a crazy person and just started screaming racist at everybody. And then, you know, of course, nobody wants to touch him now because he's like swinging a hammer around saying everybody's racist. And then one team decides to interview him and they didn't give him a job. And so then he like files a lawsuit that they're racist now. And it's like, oh my God, see, that's why you don't, that's why you don't do that. Don't, I'm just saying. So anyways, he gets a job with the Steelers. He is the linebacker's coach slash defensive assistant. And now he's with the Vikings. So, I mean, whatever. I, I don't see anything to indicate. Not that coaches are easy to understand in terms of their their value you never know the the rankings of the defense probably has mostly to do with the players but um yeah i don't i don't necessarily understand what he did that gives everybody so much hope he's another as far as i can tell new england coach that went out on his own and then failed maybe not as much as mike mcdaniel has been a failure but you know <laughs> it's another guy that's massively overhyped because of where he came from i understand tua had some issues maybe that's a bigger part of it but i'm just saying so much hype for no reason. But anyway, so Brian Flores is their guy now. It's going to be a third defensive system in three years. Constant turnover. Well, a lot of turnover in certain areas with a lot of players. There's not a lot of continuity. Nobody understands the system. There isn't a ton of reason to believe that there's going to be a massive spike. Not that it hasn't happened. Sometimes there's just this instant spike. Granted, the first year Brian Flores went to Miami, what happened? Dead last defense. So... Just saying, it wasn't until year two that they got better, and then year three they fell off again, and then he got fired, or quit, or however that happened. I don't know. Who cares? But anyways, the Vikings are actually forecast 8.5 wins, which, you know, again, I'm saying if they regress down to 10, then they're still one of the top teams, and, and being very good is still regression. But Vegas is like, yeah, you're still overhyping them. They're more of an, you know, 8-9 win team, which most of the NFC North is, between 7 and 9, I think. All teams are between that in that range. But I'm not going to necessarily go through player by player like we have been because we've done that plenty of times with the Vikings. But let's look at just kind of a big picture view here. Here are the players that they lost. Dalvin Tomlinson along the defensive line. He was replaced, essentially, by Dean Lowry. Zadarius Smith and Kenny Willickis were lost on the edges. They replaced him with Marcus Davenport. Now, I'm, I'm seeing him listed here as an interior defensive lineman. I'm guessing that's not the case thinking that's a mistake, but uh, I don't know. Because again, I believe we've got a 4-3 defensive end in this hybrid 3-4 system, so I, I, I don't really understand what we're doing here. I don't understand this obsession with down defensive ends, but also we want to switch to this hybrid 3-4 system. But now we're going to have down defensive end Marcus Davenport and down defensive end um, Daniil Hunter, assuming he remains on the team, as our two stand-up outside linebackers. What are, what are you doing? It's not to say, maybe Marcus Davenport will be better as an, a stand-up outside linebacker. Maybe Daniil Hunter will, although he wasn't last year. But why in the world are you doing this? You have two defensive ends. One of them you just brought in, and you're going to make them outside linebackers. And again, it's not that, it's not that Davenport didn't do it. He did, like most people. I mean, Daniil almost never did, but it's just, it's not, 
it's not what they are, but that's fine. It's fine. Maybe he'll be better this way. Zadarius made sense. He was an outside linebacker that you could put hand in the dirt because he was he was a bigger dude that could handle that. But whatever. I like Davenport. I, I've said numerous times I think it's a good pickup. I just, I don't understand. We seem obsessed with different ideas. What kind of players we like and what kind of scheme we like. And yeah, I understand that the, the hybrid part of it is that a lot of times you're going to have hand in the dirt, but that means you need hybrid players, not defensive ends. Maybe Davenport is, I don't know. Um, at cornerback, they lost Patrick Peterson. Um, still was playing at a relatively high level, considering his, I figured he dropped off many, many years ago. He went on to the Steelers. Duke Shelley went on to the Raiders. We've already talked about him. And Chandon Sullivan went to the Steelers. That is a massive overhaul. Uh, oh, and Chris Boyd went to the Cardinals. So, four corners. CB1, Patrick Peterson, who had a 78 grade and an 80 coverage grade, is now gone. CB2, Chandon Sullivan, who played over 1,000 snaps, didn't grade out super well, but that cornerback two is gone. He is now a Steeler. CB3, Cam Dantzler, is gone. He went to the Buffalo Bills. CB4, Duke Shelley, 470 snaps, 83 PFF grade, 86 coverage grade, is now with the Raiders. And then Chris Boyd, who is actually their CB7, um, 39 snaps, is also gone. He went to the Cardinals. That means out of seven corners that played, the only guys left are CB5, a Caleb Evans, who played 162 snaps and had a 47 PFF grade, a 40 coverage grade, and Andrew Booth, who was last year a rookie, played 105 snaps, had a 45 PFF grade and a 41 coverage grade. By far the two worst corners. Now, Andrew Booth didn't get to play a full season, dealt with injuries. Maybe he takes a big jump. I don't know. But by far, the two worst corners are the only two corners remaining. Both of them were rookies last year. Both of them. And then five of the seven from last year, those five accounted for 3,198 snaps compared to the 267 by a Caleb Evans and Andrew Booth. They're gone. That's a pretty big deal. Now, what did they do in response to that? They brought in Byron Murphy. Murphy was a second-round pick in 2019 out of Washington. Played four years in Arizona. Never really had a good grade. I mean, his first year was his worst, but the last three years, his coverage grades, 62, uh, 63, 62, 64. Very steady in terms of his being average. His passer ratings the last three years, 97.4, 94.2, and 105.5. His interceptions were 0, 4, and 0, while giving up two, six, and 4 touchdowns. So Byron Murphy's going to come over, presumably as a day one starter, probably along with Andrew Booth, who again, last year was just really bad. It's only two games and it was midseason, right? We're just going to plop him in the middle of week 10 out of nowhere and he plays horribly. And then we're going to bring him in week 11 against Dallas and he's terrible. And the Dallas game, the second game was his only actual start and then he got injured again. But um, the other guy that they added is Jawan Williams. Murphy got 8.8 .8 million, Jawan 1.1, just to give you an idea of the difference in value of the two guys or market value or whatever. But uh, Jawan Williams was a second round pick by the Patriots. So actually very similar to Byron Murphy in terms of 2019 second round picks that just have not panned out. And Jawan Williams has been even worse. His best year was actually his first year when he didn't play very much. Then in 2020, he had a 53 coverage grade. And then in 2021, he had a 54 coverage grade, 136.5 passer rating when targeted. He gave up three touchdowns, no interceptions, four pass breakups. 
and he did not play at all in 2022. So that's not great. And I, I think unless there is a massive jump by Andrew Booth, like he comes in and is a top 15 guy, and even then, I think they still got worse. Because if that's what he is, then he's basically just taking the place of Patrick Peterson. So yeah, I think the corners got worse, which is terrifying for a team that was one of the worst, that ended basically as the worst defense in football. And now your corners just got worse. And to be honest, I don't know that the pass rushers didn't get worse, which we already talked about with Zadarius. Right, we swapped out um, Zadarius and Kenny Willickus. Why did they get rid of Kenny Willickus? Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. I thought they were excited about Kenny Willickus, or he had a good year or something, but he definitely did not. It's a seventh round pick, and he was released May of 2023 this year. Uh, wave injured, so maybe he had an injury issue. Whatever, I don't know. He didn't play. So they replaced Zadarius with Davenport, right? Well, if we compare notes on the two, Zadarius Smith um, played almost borderline twice as many snaps. Zadarius had an 83.3 PFF grade, Davenport 76.8. Pass rush grade, Zadarius 85, Marcus Davenport 75. Um, 80 pressures compared to 34. Now, he didn't play as much, but Zadarius had a 15% pressure rate, which is really high. Davenport was 12. 12 is fine, but it ain't 15, and it ain't what Zadarius did. And then if you look at sacks, Zadarius had 10, Marcus Davenport had 1. If you look at win percentage, um, Zadarius was 19.2, Davenport was 17.6. True pass sets, Zadarius had an 87 grade, Dan Daniil 78.7. Win percentage is the only area Marcus Davenport was higher than Zadarius. True pass set, win percentage, 24.8 compared to 23.8. It's basically the same. And they're... they're um, PRP, which is looking at pressures, but, you know, it weights sacks ahead of hits, ahead of hurries. Zadarius 12.1, Davenport 11.5. They were both, both good, but Davenport was not as good as Zadarius was. And, again, you got a whole year from Zadarius and not from Davenport. Not to say that that has to happen again this year, but it's worth noting. So, potentially going backwards. Plus, again, I think Zadarius is a better scheme fit. Maybe I'm just misreading this about Davenport, but I think Zadarius is better for the defense that they're going to be running. Zadarius is also a better pass rusher than Davenport. So the edges went backwards. I think if you look at um, the defensive line, now it, it is worth noting, they also, I forgot, they, they also brought in uh, Jacqueline Roy, but that is a late first round, or a fifth round pick. Well, mid, or whatever, mid fifth round pick. Jacqueline Roy is probably not going to come in and dominate in the trenches. You lost Dalvin Tomlinson, and you replaced him with Dean Lowry, right? So you still have Harrison Phillips, who you had last year, and now you have uh, Kyrus, however you say his name, Kyrus Tonga, and Dean Lowry. I mean, that's, that's not good, dude. I mean, the best pass rusher of the group was Dalvin Tomlinson. He's gone. He was really your only pass rusher in that group. Harrison Phillips had a 59 pass rush grade, 24 pressures on 406 attempts and only two sacks. That's kind of trash. Solid run defender, as was Tonga, but you ain't getting anything from Dean. So I think the defensive line went backwards. I think the edges went backwards. I think the corners went backwards. Then they finally got rid of uh, Eric Kendricks or lost Eric Hendricks. Been a long time coming. He went off to the Chargers. They replaced him in free agency with Troy Reader. Troy Reader is a horrific linebacker. His grades over the three years that he played in L.A., 28, 61, and 43. Now, technically, he had a 77 grade last year, but do you know why? It's because he only played 63 snaps. He essentially played two games, and one of those games he had a 98 PFF grade. 
21 snaps, 97 coverage grade on his eight coverage snaps. So he played eight snaps perfectly, which massively skewed a season in which he played about two games. And really, if you take all his snaps together, 63 snaps, that's like one game. He's horrific. So as much as Eric Hendricks was a necessary move, Kendricks had a 60 grade, an 80 run defense grade, right? Coverage wasn't great, but I'm sorry, you went backwards again. They have Jordan Hicks, who they had last year. Hicks was almost identical to Kendricks, 80 run defense grade, 50 coverage grade. And then Brian Osamwa, who was probably their best linebacker, 80 overall, 74 run defense, 78 coverage, which is great. But you had him last year. So if we're just looking at last year compared to this year, you just replaced a, you know, over-the-hill expensive, not great linebacker with a underpriced, terrible linebacker. Um, and then the the other issue that I have as far as Jordan Hicks and Brian Osamwa is that Jordan Hicks has never been that good as a run defender, ever, aside from pretty close in 2018. But he immediately went right back down. So... I wouldn't expect that to necessarily stay the same. Brian Osamwa, um, he was a third-round rookie, and his grades were solid, but he didn't play very much. He played 121 snaps, so that's twice as much as the other guy. We're talking like three games worth. And his solid run defense grade is only because of two games. In nine games, he had two games where he graded out in the 70s, and that's what boosted his entire grade. And with coverage, he only had one good game, and it was a 91.7 grade. So, yeah, it's not going to average out very much when you hardly played, and the little bit that you played, you had a couple incredible games, but if you play a full season, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess you could talk yourself into saying it stayed about the same, but to be honest, it got worse. I also forgot to mention at cornerback, they drafted uh, Makai Blackman in the third round at pick 102. Maybe that's going to be a thing. I doubt it. And finally, at safety, there was nobody lost. Nobody added, aside from fourth-round pick Jay Ward out of LSU at pick 134. So they are going to be rolling again, I believe, with Cam Bynum and Harrison Smith. Um, Harrison Smith is one of the more impressive safety specimens ever. I mean, But he's going the way of Adrian Amos. I mean, Amos plummeted off the planet. But remember when I said that um, Harrison Smith was like good, bad, good, bad every year? And, and I shouldn't even say good, bad. It was, it was great, good, great, good. So starting in 2015, which is not when he actually started, but that's when the, the up and down thing started, 85-75, 92-79, 2021 was supposed to be a big up year. It's a 77. Then this year is supposed to be the down year, 68. So it's almost as if 77 is the new high and 68 is the new floor. Except, is he going to go back up to the 70s this year or is now 68 the new ceiling? I don't know. But I know that the guy is 34 years old. I know that last year he um, had one, two, three, four, five good games the entire season and six games below a 60. I know he had three games in which his coverage grade was 70 or higher. I know he had zero games where his run defense grade was 70 or higher. So this is the, the worst game since 2013, which was the second year and he was injured that year. He had a 55 grade complete aberration. If you remove that, this is by far his worst grade of his career. 74.3 was the previous lowest in 2020. Another way to look at this, again, if we remove 2013 from the equation, three of his four worst games have come in the last three years, or seasons have come in the last three years. So 
Mad respect to Harrison Smith, but that dude ain't the Harrison Smith that we've all come to know, and I don't think he's ever going to be that again. Cam Bynum was a 2021 fourth-round pick by the Minnesota Vikings. He had a solid first year based on his very limited snaps of 211 snaps. This past year, he was a starter, got 1,200 snaps. He went from a 78 down to a 58. His coverage grade went down from a 71 to a 50. Um... He gave up six touchdowns, two interceptions, two pass breakups. So it's the same safeties. So that, you know, I guess you stayed the same. But I don't know. I don't... You, you didn't get better. It's possible Cam Bynum gets better, but it's also possible that Harrison Smith continues his regression. So I will grant you that that stayed the same, but I think you're struggling to find one area of this defense where they improved. Then on the offensive side of things, Obviously, nothing changed at quarterback. Wide receiver, they did lose Adam Thielen. Um, that's a big one. Thomas Hennigan also gone. Nobody cares. Ola B.C. Johnson gone. Nobody signed him. Free agents just floating around out there. But they added wide receiver Jordan Addison. Now, obviously, we have no idea what Jordan Addison is going to be able to do, going to be able to be. It was the right decision in terms of, you know, I mean, Adam Thielen is going to be gone soon. So you have to find that replacement. Was Jordan Addison the biggest pressing need? Absolutely not. Bro, I'll rock with Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, and T.J. Hawkinson, and then go get some defensive help. But whatever. It's fine. Offense is your thing. You don't care about defense. We're just going to score a million points. Fair enough. Go out and get uh, go out and get Jordan Addison. He'll be your new Adam Thielen. The question is, is he even going to be as good as Adam Thielen was last year? Maybe. I don't know. Thielen had a uh, 65 grade, which isn't great, but, you know, again, you're talking rookies. 70 is a pretty solid season. Justin Jefferson also is obviously going to be top dog, so there's going to be a, a cap to the, uh, the impact that he's going to be able to have. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll just give you that one. Wide receivers got better. There you go. Then at tight end, uh, they lost Irv Smith, went to the Bengals. Ben Ellefson is still floating around there looking for a job. But they brought in Josh Oliver, and of course, they still have TJ Hawkinson. Hawkinson was solid for them last year, 73 grades, 76 receiving. Um... Actually had a thousand yards and six touchdowns. I'm guessing that wasn't all with them, though, right? No, but 648 of it was and three touchdowns. That's a lot. So as far as I'm concerned, tight end stays the same because T.J. Hawkinson is is the only guy that matters. Uh, running back Dalvin Cook still looking for a home. I just recently saw that um, Miami has a standing offer and he's not interested in it. Probably because Dalvin just generally, which probably is part of the reason there's complications with Minnesota, just thinks he deserves a lot more. Um, and number one, he's wrong based on how broke down and, and his age and everything. But number two, just completely mistiming the market and just not understanding even really good running backs, which he is not, aren't going to get that much. But that's his problem. He's not a Viking anymore. And then um, the running back, the only running back brought in that I can see is Dwayne McBride, who I did like, uh, but seventh round pick, pick 222. So... You know, I mean, Alexander Madison is probably still going to be top dog. He graded out fine, 84.2, but just a 3.8 uh, yards per attempt. That's obviously going to have to come up a little bit if they're going to be successful on the ground. He had 283 yards and five touchdowns. Clearly, he's going to have more attempts, but still, even with the 280 attempts that Dalvin had, he'd be at 1,064. Dalvin had 1,250. So we'll see. I don't know exactly how they're going to uh, do that. Maybe Dwayne McBride is going to step into a bigger role. I don't know. But it's going to be hard to fill the shoes of a workhorse like Dalvin Cook. Um, and I don't see anybody on the team that was getting the yards per attempt that Dalvin was at 4.4 yards per attempt. 
So backwards, yes. Necessary, yes. But you still went backwards. So again, you're, there's 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 two different things here. Are you doing the right things? Kind of. I think you're going a little too slow about it. And there's like this hybrid, like we're kind of doing the right things, but we're also kind of trying to go all in, sort of, like an all in light. But then there's, did you get better? Well, no, you you absolutely didn't. But uh, then along the offensive line, I mean, that's that is a very untouched and and uh, pretty solid group. But I don't think they lost any offensive linemen. They didn't bring in a single free agent offensive lineman. They didn't draft an offensive lineman. I think the only guy worth talking about that we didn't mention yet would be uh, quarterback Jaron Hall that they drafted in the fifth round. Not massively worth talking about, but that's the only guy we didn't talk about yet. But looking at their offensive line, Christian Derrissaw, good lord, that guy was good last year. 90.4 PFF grade, 90 run blocking grade, and an 82 pass blocking grade. That's really, really good. Ezra Cleveland who I was very skeptical of. Um, they He was like a, a bad tackle that they moved inside, but I didn't really understand it because he's... I, I know there's some tall guards, but it's like you got these tall, lanky, athletic guys. You put them on the outside. You don't put them on the inside. But he did get better, but similar to the Lions, it's, it's all run blocking, right? His run blocking grades went from a 67 to a 72 to a 79, which caused his overall grades to go from a 66 to a 68 to a 73. Pass blocking, unfortunately, went from a 52 to a 55 down to a 54. So that's still a, an area of concern for Ezra Cleveland. And as good of a run blocker as he seems to be becoming, you can't keep a guy like that if he doesn't learn to pass block. But still, comparatively, when you look at how bad this Vikings line was for so long, um, they definitely made some improvements. Even Garrett Bradbury, who was just a complete joke of an offensive lineman, is slowly getting better. He does need to be replaced at some point. Um and last year potentially was a fluke. Maybe it was the new offensive system. I don't know. But his pass blocking grades went from 41, 38, 43, 64. It's a massive jump. So I don't know. Uh, he still had three horrific games, which is kind of his calling cards down in the, the 20s. But for the rest of the season, he was actually quite solid. So again, I don't know if it's a scheme change that he's adapted to, or uh, maybe he just got really good, or maybe it was a fluke. I don't know. But he kind of jumped from, we got to replace this guy immediately to, eh, let's see how it goes. Right guard Ed Ingram was the one glaring issue. I believe it still is. I don't know what they've got in terms of competition. I mean, they've got guys like Chris Reed, undrafted free agent, Alan Ali. I don't know if Austin Schlotman can play guard. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Ali Udo can play inside or something. Dude, who is who is this center Josh Sokol? Which is Skull with an O in between the, o, the S and the K. You did that just because of his last name. That guy probably wouldn't make a CFL team. But Ed Ingram is the is the massive issue with this offensive line. He had a 42 pass blocking grade, 64 um, run blocking grade. And then right tackle Brian O'Neill is another really fantastic offensive lineman. So two very good tackles. I mean, it's got to be one of the best tackle duos in the entire NFL. Um, 82 overall, 82 run blocking, and a 78 pass blocking. The guards, you know, you got a good left guard. Well, the pass blocking across the interior is still a big question mark. You've got two that are bad, and then the center, that's a question mark. But the run blocking is great four out of five. So that's kind of where the offensive line is. Still a massive improvement from what it was, but um, you got to pick up the pass blocking on the interior, I think, is the biggest issue. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think going through it, I'm I, I, although you know you always look at the offense and say they could beat anybody. It's hard to look at this team and and not say yeah they went backwards. 
The defense got worse at almost every position. The offense is almost identical. Quarterback's the same. Offensive line is the same. Tight end is the same. Um, running back, you lost Dalvin. And then wide receiver, you replaced one wide receiver who was good but getting old with a rookie who has potential but might not be good at all. We don't know. It's hard to find anything on this team other than, we got a new defensive coordinator, everything's fixed, to look at and go, yeah, I think they're going to be okay. It's tough. It is tough. I've been trying to be like, I don't know, don't give up on them yet, but I just I just kind of see them getting bludgeoned. And, and, it, and it becomes a situation where, man, you better hope that Kirk Cousins can have a really, really incredible year and can keep feeding Justin Jefferson and that uh, you can find a way to win continually, I guess, just, just with that. Just score a lot of points all the time. But then you think about the rest of the NFC North teams and it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Does that mean they don't win the North? Well, no, nah, not really. They might, still, they might still win. I have no idea. Packers are TBD. Lions are a similar football team. It's like you got a, the, the quarterback-wide receiver combo. You got a solid offensive line. You got a terrible defense. Bears are just a terrible team with a slight chance of, of becoming really good. But again, really good for the Bears would be that they end up like the Vikings. And even that, like, your wide receiver is not going to be Justin Jefferson. And I'm sorry, Justin Fields is not going to be Kirk Cousins. He could be a lesser version that also runs to, to make up the rest of that value. But, yeah, I'd... We'll see, man. We'll see. Maybe Brian Flores will come in and just get these guys whipped into shape and everything. But I, I, don't, I don't see any real reason to believe that. But that's the Vikings. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.